0: the Anchored by Faith podcast, a Reformed Baptist podcast with the goal to hold to Scripture to be conformed to the image of God. My name is Colton Wright, and my co-host over here, Logan Battisti. We are here on this special holiday. It's the second day of deer season.
1: Yeah, did you see anything this weekend?
0: I saw one little four-pointer. He was, He was a tiny little... Well, I say he was tiny... He was a big-bodied four-pointer. I'll say that.
1: Yeah, I took a shot at one. I hate it, but we tried tracking it. We tracked it to like nine o'clock at night, and we couldn't find it. Oh, so man. I hate when that happens.
0: Yeah, was he a eight or? It was an eight. Golly. I didn't even see an eight. I mean, I didn't even see a doe until I was driving home. I saw two does and a little button buck trying to cross the road, and I thought, man, why were where were you at at you know eight o'clock this morning?
1: At 8 o'clock?
0: Well, you know, I could see that. Oh, like when
1: you were out hunting at 8 o'clock. I was like, 8 o'clock this morning. I think I was on my way home from Chris's because we spent the night again because we were out so late tracking the deer and Scarlet was just ready for bed.
2: Mm.
0: Did you... uh, I was talking to your wife while we were at church and she mentioned she only had like three hand warmers this time. And she said typically she has like... Eight or nine.
1: <laughs> yeah, and she still burned herself with the hand warmer.
0: <laughs> I've only used those. I can never get the feet ones to work. They they never work for me.
1: So I've never I never used the feet ones, but I ended up going out and I had no none of my hunting clothes with me that I normally bring. Mm-hmm. So I just had to use my wife's gloves and she's got the fingertipless ones. Oh no. Yeah. So and she's like, Yeah, you probably want a hand warmer And I was like, At first I was like, nah, and I was like yeah, I probably should take one. But by the end of it, after I was calling Chris that I had shot the deer, I was like, oh, I'm so cold. Oh, <laughs> I was not dressed for this. Yeah, that, uh, <laughs> what
0: was it? I think it was three years ago. It got down to like 18. And, I mean, it was cold. It was It was a cold morning. And I was up in the tripod, and I thought it would be fine. I even had the the toe warmers in there, but it was so cold and it was so frosty. and My jacket was sticking to the tripod and my feet got so numb. I panicked and this was only like eight 30 or nine o'clock. I panicked and I'm like, I have to get down from this tree stand because I can't feel my feet right now and I had to get down. I'm like, I don't care if there's anything around me. I have got to move. I had to get down and walk around the, the stand because I could not feel my feet. Oh, man. That sucks. <laughs> that sucked. And I still didn't see anything that day.
1: Oh, man. I'm sorry about that. But, yeah, no, that's just how my weekend went. Besides, honey, did you do anything else fun? Well, we
0: just got back from Illinois. That was a wonderful five-and-a-half-hour drive Thursday and Friday.
1: Where'd you go in Illinois?
0: I'm going to mispronounce this. Peora?
1: Oh, Peoria.
0: Peoria. That's how you say it. Yeah, we went up there and my wife had some training. So me and Declan crashed in the hotel room, tried to get some homework done. Didn't work. (laughs) Never does. Never does. I mean, I did get some good reading in. Right now in uh, class, we're talking about some of this stuff that we're kind of going over, some salvation issues. And uh, we're also talking about church and state. So It's kind of some good stuff.
1: Yeah, you have an interesting homework assignment, that's for sure. Uh, I'll give a five-page paper on Constantine and how, from a scribe's perspective, you should tell him how to go from church and state or whatever.
0: Yeah, you have to do the separation of powers of church and state. It's pretty, it's, you have to think, like, uh, there's been several times I started writing and I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, I can't, that's not consistent at all. And so I have to backtrack, 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 erase, erase, erase. And I'm like, okay, I got to think through this again. When you have to like define separation of powers, that's that's a tough, I mean, at least for me, it's kind of tough.
1: I can imagine so. I mean, I hate to have to write it on the medieval church.
2: Oh. oh.
1: I can only imagine Like in between trying to talk about the separation of, well, non-existent separation of yeah. Catholicism and the monarchies throughout Europe. During the medieval period, I mean, the pope basically ran a lot of the churches yeah. or, or kingdoms around there.
0: Well, when you have the uh, merit system, you know, it, it's kind of ironic not to get into a big historical thing. But if you don't know church history, you should really get to know it. It's pretty fascinating. There, there comes a point in church history where you know the pope. You have the meritorium system, where the treasury of merit. You know, the pope holds the keys and he grants grace according to certain works of penance or other instances Crusades for instance was a example a major of one yeah major one
1: and that's the reason I'm like one of the Crusades was all kids
0: yeah actually Martin Luther he was on his trip to to Jerusalem
1: to, to it, Jerusalem yes it, thats yeah. where he went because that's where he did his walk up the stairs yeah. right yeah for that or was he that received John Calvin
0: no it was uh, Martin Luther okay he received by that 10,000 years off Purgatory for anyone member of his family that he chose and he decided to apply it to his grandparents. Uh, I mean, 10,000 years of purgatory for walking to Jerusalem.
1: And going up the stairs and go, of where Jesus I mean, stood with Pilate yeah. before the people. But and That's just crazy to kind of think about.
0: But when you have, you know, this, the Pope that has those keys to essentially, I mean, what you're essentially saying is he might not hold the keys to heaven, you know, let's say, per you know, se. Per yeah. se but if you can spend 10,000 years in purgatory purging yourself of sins that's a long
1: time yeah really long time that's a really
0: long time <laughs> it's and so you know it, it, it kind of did hold in a sense the keys to heaven I and mean, it didn't but he did and it, you know as a king and the ruler you could be sovereign to a point you know, when you have the Pope who says, oh, you know, if you don't obey me, you could just spend 10,000 years in purgatory, you know, or you just can't you, to partake of the baptism, or you can't, uh, no baptisms are allowed in your area, which essentially means no one is going to be saved in the, in your church, and no one can partake of Mass, which means no forgiveness of sins.
1: Yeah, wow. and I mean, it didn't even stay there. Even the Popes became greedy. I mean, there's oh, the yeah. whole papal pornocracy scene. Yeah.
0: Where you had the Pope selling offices and yeah having illegitimate children and
1: yeah it was just a crazy dark yeah. age and yeah church history if, because it's not even just Catholics' history it's no. also ours as well
0: no and it's kind of shame on us we should really study this stuff right I mean because
1: I only remember that one just because of the way the words no. kind of play on that one and it always stuck in my head
0: we did before I was. In for before I took church history, I listened to James White's church history. And then when I took church history again, it was like a refresher, so it was really exciting. And I got to go a little bit more in depth on some areas. Mm. It was kind of nice because James White does a really good overview of church history. And then to go through it again, I got to see points that maybe he just didn't talk about or maybe some areas that he didn't talk about.
1: Or didn't have time to. Or know. didn't
0: have time to, you know. So it was really neat. But us as Protestants, we really black church history we tend to think that you know it just appeared out of nowhere you know the we think of all the early fathers and everybody just you know oh they're just catholics eh, that's not the truth this was a seed that was planted and it grew over a long period of time
1: yeah and the catholic churches we understand it today was not there the whole time i mean no. we think catholic as a certain denomination now but at the time catholic meant universal church it meant it uh-huh. was the church
0: yeah And, I mean, the Catholic Church, as we know today, really didn't calcify until the Council of Trent, is when it really took form, because it broke. I mean, that's when the break, the schism happened, when the the Reformation, I mean, that is really when the Roman Catholic Church, as defined today, solidified, Mm -hmm. and had to take a stance against the Reformation. But... You know, and you take something like that, and that whole situation was really about the gospel.
1: Right, and so let's take a moment, and let's really explain what the gospel is, because we're going through Reformed theology right now. We've done total depravity, and we've done unconditional election, but we haven't really explained what the gospel is, and what this podcast really is, proclaiming the gospel, showing the gospel to people, and looking through scripture to show it. Mm -hmm. so of course we start off with total depravity that we were created to have a relationship with God we were created to be with God to worship God and to have an intimate relationship with him where we intimately know one another
2: Mm
1: -hmm. but Adam sinned so original sin came upon all of us Mm -hmm. and of course we all Mm sin but we don't sin we don't become sinners by sinning We sin because we are sinners. I know that sounds complicated to say, but if you go back to the first episode Mm -hmm. or the second episode on Total Depravity, it'll really explain that.
0: Yeah, our sin comes from our nature. We sin because we at our core, that's what we are. We are sinners. It comes from our nature. Use the analogy, I think, last time of you put a lion in a room and you have carrots and you have meat. You shut the door. What's the lion going to go to? obviously the meat it's gonna go to the meat why you didn't persuade him it's what he wanted it we want to sin
1: right absolutely mm-hmm. and so then you get this point of so if we're sinners how do we get to be righteous again? how do we get men this broken relationship with God
2: mm-hmm.
1: well the obvious point is we can't yeah there's nothing that we can do
2: how it, do
0: you how do you make yourself right with a holy and just
1: God. Who's an eternal, yeah. holy, just God. Yeah. I mean, it's not just something that's within time. He is outside of time and eternally holy. Mm-hmm. How do we do something that's worth eternally holiness or eternal righteousness? Yeah, There's nothing that we can do.
0: And even if we could do something righteous, we could never equate to the righteousness that God requires, which is his own Moral perfection.
1: Right. And and that's absolutely why Jesus had to die on the cross is Mm -hmm. because he is the only one who could do that. And if you look through the Old Testament, you'll see that the sacrifices were not even meant to cover them, cover their sins like the whole time. Mm -hmm. They had to go back year after year and account for sins over and over again.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And that's kind of why Jesus Christ on the cross or Jesus death on the cross and the new covenant is so important because this is a more holy sacrifice mm-hmm. that is so much better than what the old covenant had.
0: Mm-hmm. There were all types and shadows. And when you had the the true fulfillment, those old sacrifices, you know, we were, we, from our very nature, we're corrupt and sinful. And if you provided those sacrifices outside of faith, it meant nothing. The whole point was that you had to take those in faith. And so how do you get from being morally unable to really choose God? Not choose God, let me say this, morally inadequate. How do you go from fallen, dead in sin, to made right? Well, it's the cross of Christ. It's his whole ministry. You know, we, we tend to focus just on the cross, but it's his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. It's not just his life and death. We have to include the ascension in that aspect. So Jesus Christ came and he lived the perfect, moral, righteous life that we should have lived. That and, we needed to live. Yes, that we needed to live. That was required by Adam. You, I mean, we go all the way back. Let's go to the baby. It was required by Adam to, to live. To be obedient to God. To be obedient to God perfectly. In the face of temptation, you see Jesus mirroring everything from Israel to Adam, you know, being tempted by Satan, being tempted by man, being tempted in pain and anguish. But what does he do? He fulfills the Father's will perfectly.
1: Yeah. And he drinks his cup that the Father gave him. Yeah.
0: He takes upon the wrath of God because only God can bear the wrath of God. Anything else is a creation. And how can any creation withstand the wrath of a holy, righteous God? It can't. Only God can do that. And that's the beauty of the gospel is that God, before the foundations of the world, planned for this. He planned for him to pour out his wrath, to absorb his wrath in himself so that you could be brought to him by his works.
1: Right. And then, of course, after Jesus died and ascended, he then sends the spirit to draw us and call us to him and bring him back to be not just servants, not just people, but as sons and daughters. He adopts okay. us and imputes his righteousness upon us. So he gives us his righteousness that he earned and we did not deserve.
0: Mm-hmm. The man, the doctrine of adoption. I would love to do a podcast on that sometime.
1: Could probably do it after <laughs> the spiritual disciplines. one. Yeah,
0: I man. that's. Because I think that the adoption is such a beautiful thing, that spirit indwelling. When the spirit indwells, he is our the down payment, the security for our inheritance. And he will guide us and direct us. And he comes to us, God with us. God is actually with us.
1: Yeah, and if you think it's so cool to look back, and if you look through how the spirit deals with men... It's amazing the fact that God's spirit dwells inside of us, and this is the same spirit that men were afraid to go of into a room <laughs> because of a big curtain blocking it because God would smite the unholiness in those people.
2: Yeah.
0: You had the same people, the same spirit that was on Saul, the king Saul that guided him and corrected him, the same spirit that was on David, the same spirit now lives within you but the difference is the difference is he it's doesn't leave you, you. Yeah. yeah he doesn't leave you because Christ's death that death actually accomplishes something his death redeems you makes you a holy vessel for the spirit to dwell within you so that the spirit can guide and direct you to conform you to the image of Christ to the image of God what we were supposed to be
1: Right. And it gives us a chance to be in heaven with him, to have that perfect reunion again, to be in that perfect Eden Mm -hmm. scene to where we have an intimate relationship and we can praise and worship God and be with God 24-7. Absolutely. Even though there will probably be no more time by that point. Anyways, so. It's true. Because we'll be eternal. There's no need for it.
0: Yeah. John Piper also says there'll be no oceans.
1: But he, isn't there like a crystal sea or something Yeah, in he says, he says
0: it's a, that's a lake.
1: Uh, have you heard his, his thing on that? He says no, oceans
0: are scary. They have Leviathan in them, so it's going to be a lake.
1: Uh, you know, I think i heard that. <laughs> I think I remember hearing something about that.
0: Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. I, he got me.
1: <clears throat> so I guess that makes sense. But so let's bring it back. We talked about what the gospel is. Mm-hmm. So we've gone through total depravity. We've gone through unconditional election. So now is the L, limited atonement, or as some people would call it, definite atonement, or particular redemption.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so we we talked last time with the unconditional election. We mentioned that there is two points that are the most contested, and that is unconditional election and limited atonement. Now, I honestly do believe that most of the objections of limited atonement can actually be resolved once there, once limited atonement is communicated, because everyone limits the atonement.
1: Absolutely everyone does. And the, the, uh, maybe
0: make this very clear, and if you hear this and you, you think, I don't limit the atonement, there's two ways to look at the atonement. Either Jesus Christ, death on the cross, is applied to everyone universally, which then entails every single person universally being saved or
1: there are some people who believe that oddly enough.
0: And those would be outside of orthodoxy. Those are people that would be outside the faith.
1: Right. Because universalism is something that is. Against scripture. Against scripture isn't told, isn't found in it. I mean, it just says that, I mean, obviously we'll see some things where God wills for people to be saved Mm -hmm. where it says God wills all to be saved. And we'll kind of go over those objections later on. But we want to make sure that you know that universalism, everybody is not going to go to heaven. No.
0: Jesus Christ specifically taught on hell. He talked about it a lot. And so hell is reality. There will be people in hell. There will be eternal judgment. So there's two ways to look at the atonement. It's either unlimited, in which everyone's saved. You can't get around that. Or it's limited in some aspect. Now, it's either limited by the amount of people it affects or how it affects all people. Right. It really boils down to just those positions. I mean, I know that's people, may say, well, I don't believe that. But as we progress, hopefully we can show you that it really boils down to just two issues, those two
1: positions. Yeah, because it's either grace has the same power and affects everybody the same way and definitely saves their sin, which is our position, or that grace is given to person, but it doesn't affect every person the same way, and some people can be persuaded, and some can't be. Mm -hmm. And that's literally what the other position points to.
0: Yeah, so it boils down to what does the atonement do? So I agree with, I think, R.C., John Piper, that I'm not zealous for the title of limited atonement, because I think that people see it and they're automatically repulsed.
1: Because we'll both say that, and everybody will say that Christ's death could save everybody. It yeah. it definitely warrants to be able to save everybody. Yeah. But that's not what scripture teaches. That's not what it points. Yeah.
0: And so I do like the definite atonement a lot better. But as I said, once you put definite atonement and you've messed up a tulip, and now it's a... I think he called it a boop or something.
1: Yeah, because like, it starts with radical corruption yeah. and then sovereign choice or something yeah, like that. Yeah, so it's
0: like but <laughs> and yeah. he's like, it doesn't make any sense. So we <laughs> we keep it the limited for you know acrimonious reasons. But the particular redemption, the definite atonement, what we hold to is that Christ's death on the cross completely and utterly saves those for whom it was made. So, you might say, well, I believe that too. And to progress, what's the other view? The other view would state that Jesus Christ died for all men universally.
1: But that it's only applied to some.
0: It's only applied to some.
1: I think I like Mike Winger's kind of graph that he showed up between the three of us. Mm -hmm. So, if you have the lemon atonement, it's, limited to some and applied limited mm-hmm. for the, I guess we'll call it traditionalist cause I can't remember what he called them, but universally it's available to everybody, but only applied to a limited amount. Mm-hmm. And then of course the universe universalist is going to be universal, universal. Mm-hmm. So, and we definitely don't take the position of the last one. I mean, we could see maybe in points where they have arguments for the second one, but Mm -hmm. we think that the particular redemption is the most concise one. Yeah. I mean, it's the one that holds true for us. Yeah.
0: I think as we flush this out, I think we'll show, I hope we'll show that it makes sense for the atonement to be limited in the sense in which we say it is, which is it is limited in the scope but not in its effect. It's limited in the amount of people it affects, but it affects those that it affects. It affects absolutely perfectly.
1: Right. And while the other side will say that's not limited in its scope, but it really doesn't affect the, every person the same way. Yeah.
0: And might I add, if, if you've been listening to the podcast so far and you find yourself opposed to us at this moment and you say... Well, I disagree with the way you're stating that. I ask you to please go back and listen to our last two podcasts. Because if you agreed with those podcasts and how the points we brought up, the reason we laid those two first is because of this. Because if we are totally dead in our sins and trespasses, and God is the one who chooses, who elects, then... The, the scope can't change. The scope can't change. It's that if God elects a people, then those whom he elects will be the ones... Who get who, the atonement. Who get the atonement. And who
1: the atonement was for.
0: So the T and the U align with the L. So if you say, I agree with the T, I agree with the U, but I don't, you know, I'm a four-point. I'm going to push you on consistency. So anyway, but what uh, what are some texts here that maybe support our view, Logan?
1: All right, let's start off with John chapter 10. All right, so we see this is the chapter where it says, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. So starting in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them.
0: Who's he calling? Who's he dying for? He's dying for his sheep. He's laying down his life for his sheep. Not for all the sheep, but for his sheep. And his sheep know his voice and they come to him. A shepherd knows his sheep and the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus Christ is stating that he knows everyone whom he will die for. He knows his sheep. That's what we're saying.
1: Yeah, I mean... It seems pretty clear that way that that's the case that where we go to. I mean, I don't understand how you go draw any other conclusion because mm-hmm. the sheep isn't meant to be all humanity. Mm-mm. It's not a universalist term. It's his sheep, yeah. those who he's called.
0: And you don't, the the sheep don't get to choose their shepherd. Mind you, the shepherd chooses the sheep. You know, you don't ever see a, a shepherd mill And and the sheep come and and just flock around him. No, the the shepherd goes and picks his sheep, and his sheep come to him. They know his voice. And so, you know, if you're reading it backwards, you could maybe say that Jesus, yes, Jesus died for his sheep, but, you know, Jesus' sheep are all those that will believe. You know, that goes back to last week on foreknowledge, you know, and we enter this big circle, this repetition, It kind of boils down. Does God know his sheep? Yes, says he does. Whom does he die for? His sheep. So if he knows his sheep and he dies for his sheep, then his death is limited in a sense, in a scope.
1: Yeah, and just go on to here in John chapter 11, verses 51 through 52, where you see Caiaphas, who's the high priest at the time, one of the people who wants to kill Jesus, And he kind of prophesies about Jesus' death.
0: He says, you said 51? Yeah, 51. Now he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into into one, the children of God, who are scattered abroad. So you have Jesus' death being for the nation but also for all of god's people so christ's death was limited it wasn't for the world it was for the nation and for god's people and specifically god's people because i would say in the nation that was still that was the nation and then god's people and really the nation is part of god's people if you were an unbelieving jew that sacrifice was not for you
1: All right, you were talking earlier about you had an argument from Hebrews that you really wanted to go through. Yes. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 7, verse
0: 25. So, I think one of the things that sealed the deal for me on limited atonement was the whole book of Hebrews. Because the whole book of Hebrews, I'm going to give you a a, a 100-foot overview, run through real fast, is that Jesus Christ is the better of all things he's the better you like moses he's a better moses you like angels he's the better angel you like you name it you like priests well guess what jesus is the better priest. you want you like sacrifices jesus is the better sacrifice and in <clears throat> chapter seven we get to melchizedek and he breaks this you know essentially he goes on the argument with about melchizedek that christ's priesthood is better Than all the other priests. So, keeping that in your back pocket. In chapter 7, verse 25, he says Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was Fitting for us to have such a high priest, wholly innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all, and he offered up himself. <clears throat> for I'm going to go ahead and read twenty-eight. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. So the argument is, Jesus Christ saves to the utmost those that draw near through him. What was, if you noticed in 25, where is Jesus? He, he always lives to make intercession for them. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says that Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for those. Now, what is unique about Christ? What is unique about him as an individual. Well, he holds what is called the threefold office. He holds the office of prophet, priest, and king. So you look back through the Old Testament, what do you see? You see prophets that are kings. You don't see a, you might see a priest that's a king, and, and for instance, Melchizedek, but you don't see all three combined into one office. Now, why is that unique? Because those were three offices that were separate. And when Christ comes, he gathers all those offices together in himself, and he is the best he is the, the greater prophet, he is the greater king, he is the greater priest. And so keeping that in mind, when Jesus Christ applies his sacrifice right as priest, This is really the thrust of the book of Hebrews, is Christ's priestly work. If Christ, you know, what priest, when he goes behind the curtain and the tabernacle, doesn't apply the sacrifice? You know, if you had purchased a heifer without spot and blemish, and you brought up the priest and you said, well, you make atonement on my behalf, and what priest would slaughter him, go into the Holy of Holies, and stop and go hold on a minute, and walk back out and say, do you believe, do you believe, did did you check all the boxes before I applied the sacrifice? Okay. And then he runs back in and does it. Or well, what priest doesn't complete the sacrifice? What would happen if a priest didn't complete the sacrifice perfectly? Well, it would it'd be an imperfect sacrifice, and he failed in his duties. And some might argue he could even die for that very thing.
1: Some probably died <laughs> for that very <laughs> thing.
0: thing. I mean, you think of the... Sons of uh, Korah? Yeah, sons of Korah.
1: I think that's what it is. Yeah. But that's 250 people who offered incense and got burned up by that incense.
0: And so they offered a sacrifice that was not uh, proportionate. It was something that was not approved by God.
1: Right. And then there was two of Aaron's sons who offered unauthorized fire, and the same thing happened to them. I can't think of what their names are right now.
0: So you had to offer a sacrifice as God said. And so when that priest went behind the veil and he offered the sacrifice and he poured the blood on the mercy seat, it's the argument of Hebrews, what happened? The sins were atoned for perfectly. But there remained a reminder for that priest of old when he would go through and he would apply that sacrifice. He had to do it year after year after year. And... On top of that, he had to do his own sacrifice. He well, had to get up in the bed in the morning. He had to offer a sacrifice because he was just as bad as they were. And so what is the purpose of Christ? Christ didn't need to have that sacrifice. Why? Because he's the perfect. He was the perfect prophet, you could say. He was. He lived absolutely a perfect life. Now, he could then offer the perfect priestly work, which means that he offered himself and he took his blood behind the veil and he poured it out. Now, when he pours his blood out for that sacrifice, it saves all those whom it's being applied to. In Hebrews nine, nine uh, eleven, uh, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is to say not of this creation and not through the blood of goats and calves but through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption for if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling sorry and the bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Now, what's the qualifier in that whole thing? It's really there, the called, those that have been called may receive the promise of internal inheritance. Those that are called out are the ones whom the sacrifice is applied to. Christ saves perfectly those who draw near to him. He lives forever to make intercession for those who draw near for him, which means when he died and is seated at the right hand of the Father, he intercedes For those whom the sacrifice was applied to. If you say, on one hand, that Christ died for all men universally, you are making a separation in Christ's atonement and his priestly work. You're saying that Christ's atonement was offered for everyone, but his sacrifice, even though it's applied to everyone, doesn't save everyone. Because they have to do something in response to his atonement. What did... I mean, those old sacrifices were shadows. What did those people have to do when they brought the sacrifice to the priest? Nothing. You didn't do anything. The priest did the work, and he applied the sacrifice, and your sins were missed. They were taken away. So you didn't do anything... It was the priest doing the work. So, again, not to harp on this too much, but I think it's very, very, very important. When the priest on the day of Yom Kippur would offer the sacrifice, what would he do? He would, first you had the scapegoat, and you had the goat, the sacrifice, the sacrificial. And so what would happen? Confess the sins, the one would leave, they drive it out, and the other one they would take And sacrifice. Now, was that sacrifice applied to the entire world? No. That sacrifice was applied to the nation of Israel. So, that sacrifice was not universal. So, what you're saying, if you make a division there, is that Christ's sacrifice is the only one that's eternal that doesn't accomplish anything. Because it doesn't if you make a separation in his priestly work from his atoning work. You know, you're saying that Christ is a priest mediating for people whom he hasn't applied an atonement for, or his atonement is applied to people who he's not mediating for.
1: Kind of explained to me earlier, before we started podcasting, but Mm -hmm. it makes a whole lot more sense now to me.
0: Yeah, essentially not to get... I know that may have been really deep and really weighty, but I'm going to sum it down. I'm going to boil it down to one little thing. and essentially is, when Christ died, he took his sacrifice behind the veil, his blood, and he atoned for who? It's the question we have to ask, who? Because if it's for everybody, then everybody's saved. Because the argument of Hebrews in chapter 1 is that he set down sacrifice is done it's paid for so he's not doing any more atoning he's he's sitting at the right hand of the father mediating now which means the sacrifice has been applied If that makes sense so he's sitting down the work is done he's mediating now which means all those whom the sacrifice has been bought he is now saying i've paid for that i've applied for that that's done over here. And that's done over here. He's not applying the sacrifice anymore. So it really drives us to one conclusion that Christ's priestly work is done.
1: I mean, that pretty much really summed down what you took time to explain, took time to go through. Um, let's see. There's Ephesians 5.25. Ephesians 5.25. Let's go there real fast.
0: Should have had that marked, but I'm using all my bookmarks.
1: And this is the part where we get to where it talks about how husbands should love their wives and wives submit to their husbands says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish.
0: And so you have Christ dying for whom? The church. And if you really want to connect that back to the Hebrews that I read in Hebrews chapter nine, what's the root word for church? The ecclesia, the called out ones, those that are set apart. And what was the contention in Hebrews? The the binding point, the it was those that are called. The called ones, the church. They're saying the same thing those that are called are the ones whom sacrifice is applied to
1: absolutely you can't get away from this fact of when you look at unconditional election and total depravity that there has to be some limit on what happens mm-hmm. I mean you can't be a christian and think that everybody's going to be saved because Jesus honestly teaches that there are people who are not going to fall not going to go down that path I mean, there's even the scary thought of people who think they're on the right path are going to go to hell because Jesus doesn't know who they are.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, he says that, you know, they departed from us and they are never really of us. You know, you can walk the walk and yet you're not actually there. The uh, wedding, parable of the wedding feast, they didn't have the garment. What was the significance of the garment was that you snuck in and you didn't require the one thing. The one thing that was there, which was the garment, you didn't possess, which meant you weren't there for the purpose. You know, you were there for the shows and the whistles and everything else, but you weren't there.
1: Right. If you look back at what Jesus says, you could do some miraculous things and still not make it. Mm I mean, it's really the whole point of what the gospel has done in your life, what the Holy Spirit has done in your life, and what salvation has accomplished in your life. Yeah. which is atone for your sins mm-hmm. because you cannot do it on your own no and that's what jesus was really trying to say is he's not abolishing the moral law he wasn't abolishing all the old testament and all the covenant he was perfecting it making yeah. it better and giving us an opportunity to get to christ because the way that is going now was not
0: yeah there's those All those things in the Old Testament, all the rituals, that's so beautiful to me in the book of Hebrews, because that's really what it portrays, is everything was a shadow of Christ. Everything pointed to him. He is the one, and all those commandments pointed to him, everything to him. I love, I can't remember who said this, and I would credit them if I could remember but they said if you were to take your your Bible, and you put it, you flipped it open between the Old and New Testament. If you could put Christ in the middle, Christ was the shadow cast in the Old Testament, and the whole New Testament is nothing but His face, in Him and who He is. And it's all about Him. I mean, the whole Bible. It's all about God. It's not about us. It's about God, His glory. His Majesty solo day Gloria, solo day Gloria. I wish some smart people came up with that.
1: Oh, they did, and then somebody uses it for a tagline at the end of their tag I don't know who, podcast. who would say that <laughs> <laughs> joke time,
2: yeah,
1: but so those are some verses that kind of point out particular redemption or definite atonement, right mm-hmm so. Let's go in to some of the objection verses, if we could, or yeah. unless you
0: got something else. Well, I, I just wanted to comment. I don't know why I didn't think about it till now. When people get to this limited atonement, the bad taste in the mouth, the traditional look at it, if someone does a cursory look, they'll say, well, you're saying that Christ didn't die for everybody. Therefore, when you go to evangelism, you can't do evangelism because you don't know if Christ died for them. And my objection to that is, well, for one, um, I do want to know where you stand on, on the topic that we're at. For two, you're right, I don't know who Christ died for. But what I do know is that he's given us his word, and he commands us to go and preach to not everybody. No, no. To everything. Every creature under heaven is who we are to proclaim the gospel to. Everything. Brody Bauckham says it's not everybody. It's everybody. He said there's a difference.
1: Everybody.
0: It's everybody. But there's no distinction. We proclaim the gospel to every creature under heaven. Why? Because we're commanded to do so. That's the means that God has set in place to draw his people. And so do I know if this person... Christ has died for? No, but neither do you. And you saying that they, someone that says, I can go up to them and say Christ died for them, really? Because what that entails is the whole book of Hebrews, that he intercedes for them perfectly. Are you going to tell them that Christ intercedes for them perfectly? You would never say that. You would never say that if you, well, I hope you would never say, if you say this magic little prayer, you know, you can get your ticket punched and go to heaven one day. No one is saying, I hope no one's saying that. And if you're listening to that podcast and you've said that, I hope you've repented
1: and... Or I hope you understand where it's wrong because yes. that's not something that makes a salvation work. No. I mean, I understand that you get that from Romans 10 where one confesses with their mouth and they're saved. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's gotten so far that people do that and I've been there, I've done that myself, and it it doesn't change a person. No. there's I guarantee that there's somebody who has been changed by it, mm-hmm. but that's only because God has worked in their life to change them. That It's not because of what the prayer they said, but it's because God worked in their life to make them believe that.
0: Yes, we got that T and the U, and then we get to the L, the limited atonement, that I can go up to a person and say that Christ, for one, I think... Uh, Being reformed, I think our evangelism should reflect scripture. And if I'm going to pick on a guy who says this, Jerry Walls, who says that you can't go up to somebody and say Jesus loves them. Well, for one, I would never say that because, well, that's not in scripture. You don't see the Apostle Paul walk into the Areopagus and say, Jesus loves you and he wants you and he has a perfect plan for your life. That's not what he says. What does he say? He says God has looked over the forbearance of your ignorance, you know, on days past, but the day has come today for you to repent and believe. So my message is going to be repent and believe, not Jesus loves you. I'm not saying that you can't use that. What I'm saying is that if that is the token by which, you know, this is my golden calf that I have to say this this thing I have to tell people. You this should, is
1: the mantra that gets them there. This is
0: the mantra that gets them there. You need to check you need to check some things out. For one, it's not in scripture. And for two, I think that you're kind of saying this little magic prayer that brings people to salvation. You know, it's this formula that brings people to salvation. I have to say these xyzs to bring people.
1: And that's not how it works. That's not what saves a person yes. because no one way fits evangelism perfectly. No. And I understand why people make Mantras of easier to share the faith and things like that to make it easier because it can be a nerve wracking thing. Mm -hmm. You're afraid and scared. But just make sure that you don't fall into the fact that this is the formula you have to follow to get people to Christ. Because that's not what the goal of those are. Yeah. They're just a guide. They're not what saves the person.
0: Absolutely. And so when you come up to somebody and you say, you know, you people can't evangelize because you don't say that Jesus loves everybody well, you're wrong, or if you say that, you know, you can't say that because you can't tell them that Jesus died for them. No, I I can. I can say, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, I can guarantee you, if you believe in him, that he will, he has died for all your sins. I can say that. What I don't want to do is tell them that Jesus Christ has died for them and they didn't believe. You know, we both would agree on both sides of these camps that it's the faith you have to have faith. So, anyway, uh, I didn't want to go down too much, but it's yeah,
1: because we go down that rabbit trail yeah. where does faith come but, from again? And
0: but I want to talk about that limited atonement does lead to evangelism. This is not a hindrance on evangelism.
1: I think we're just pointing the fact that Calvinism still leads to evangelism. Absolutely, because we want to distance ourselves so far from hyper Calvinistic that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's really what I want to drive the point on is I just want to separate those.
1: That we are not hyper-Calvinist.
0: Yes, because I get exhausted and people saying, you know, you don't believe that we should evangelize. And I'm like, I absolutely believe we should evangelize.
1: Absolutely. And I know I'm not the best at it, but I'm trying to push myself to be better. I mean, this is one of the ways I'm trying to reach out and do better yeah. at it. Because I don't want just Christians to listen to this. I want everybody to listen to this yeah i I, mean our goal isn't to reach a specific group of people
0: no i I hope we hope to i mean i know we're going through this but the point of us going through reform theology is five points is because we want you to know where we are at we want you to understand us where we're coming from and then this is a springboard to go into other
1: topics absolutely i mean like i said after this we're going into lamentations no. after this series but before we get too far yeah. down that road and more rabbit trails
0: so that was one objection
1: yeah and I think another one that I've seen too is that people say that we're being dishonest mm-hmm. with that or that God's dishonest
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I kind of want to put the morality of that into question how are you to choose what's Dishonest. I mean, you can think it's dishonest, but who is the creator? Mm. Yep. Who is the one who made morality? Who is mm-hmm. the one who gave us the ability to do that?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I mean, even then, we wouldn't have had that ability without God creating it. Because mm-hmm. God created the tree of the knowledge of good and evil the same as any other tree.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not like it wasn't a part of his plan. Mm-hmm. So, without God having his moral standards and him perfecting it, then we wouldn't be able to say what is dishonest, what is false. And just because the way we present things, I mean, you already gave that whole spiel about how we could still say that God loves people. Yeah. I mean, God still loves people enough to let them live.
0: That's an act of mercy beyond all that we deserve.
1: Because that first sin deserves death. Mm -hmm. now yes there are different degrees and intensities but every wage of sin is death
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and how many I mean when do you need to get your wage once from the very first sin which is should result in death and God is merciful and just that he doesn't strike you down that very instance I would say he's extremely loving that your entire life the you know, if we're lucky, 70, 80 years that we're here on this planet, God gives you every chance to repent and toward, turn towards him at the same time giving you the same breath that you use to blaspheme him. Absolutely. That's an act of love. That is the most loving thing I could ever think. I mean, that is literally holding, having the power to, it's not kill, I mean, to exact justice.
1: Right, and it's not something that we haven't already said that is unjust. It's something that's very just. It's just. I mean, it's because of we did it ourselves. Not because of how he made us, but because of what our nature is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, yes, God created us, but we still have the nature inside of us to sin, to want mm-hmm. to sin, to love our sin more than God. And God's the only one who can change us. And I know that sounds really weird. And it sounds like God chooses some people over than others. And people want to say that follows Mm -hmm. fatalistic choice. Mm -hmm. It's just tough not to get into that sometimes.
0: Yeah, the objection of fatalism is such a misnomer because anyone that knows what fatalism is essentially says that think about this way fatalism means that your entire life you could be a good person and before you die the very last breath you breathe you just go straight to hell that's fatalism or the vice versa you're a sinner your entire life the most debauched individual a murderer sexually immoral and the very instant god says boop you go to heaven um it denies for one it's not supported by scripture and it denies the means that god use can that despicable murderer be saved. Absolutely. Not if God does not change them. God morally changes you.
1: All yeah. right. Let's go into objection with the verses. John three sixteen.
0: So John three sixteen, I don't even I'm gonna read it so I don't mess it up. Not like I need to.
1: But yeah, <laughs> I'd say some words that were different than other people, so it's just easier to get a standard for it.
0: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life.
1: Whosoever.
0: Ever. How many sermons have we heard on one word?
1: All the John three sixteen sermons. Just kidding. <laughs> not all of them. But,
0: <laughs> but you know, doesn't this disprove limited atonement?
1: No. Why not? I, well, if you take it into context... You have to realize that this is a part of Jesus and Nicodemus talking, right? Mm -hmm. So what does he say beforehand? If you look at verse six, we'll start there. Okay. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes so what it is, with everyone who is born of the spirit.
0: Hmm. Are you telling me that I don't know where the spirit comes from?
1: I mean, I'm telling you, you it's hard to see where it works sometimes. <laughs> but I mean, you also get this whole illustration of birth. Mm-hmm. What part do we have in giving birth?
0: Well, we're men. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, wow
0: i mean our wives are in the other room yeah that's they, fair enough if they listen to this podcast we did nothing <laughs> i rubbed your back for hours
1: i don't really know if i rubbed her i mean i was next to her but i don't know if i ever really rubbed her back for it but when it came down to it it didn't take her long at all so but i was there for moral support
0: i was there for
1: but i mean back support <laughs> In of it, ourselves, when we were children in the womb, mm-hmm. we did nothing to come out of the womb. There's nothing we did. We took mm-hmm. no part in it whatsoever.
0: Yeah. And it, it's, it's ironic because don't you see like Nicodemus's response to this? Because he he has that response, like what you just brought up. He It's kind of like the objection. He's like, what? I'm
1: what? an old man. How yeah. could I go back into my do, mother's womb?
0: Do I need to do this again? Like, I don't understand. How does this even work? You know? And what's the point? The point is, it's not about you. No, I'm just, <laughs> I had to say that. Never said that on the podcast before. It felt good. This is only the fourth episode, man. <sighs> I know. I still have to get the RC in there, you know. What's wrong with you people?
1: <laughs> so, obviously, I understand that people want to say that this is talking about the whole world.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I mean, it kind of looks like it It's just reading the verse. But remember, in the context mm-hmm. of what you just read when Jesus talked to Nicodemus.
0: Yeah. And what is he talking about? He's talking about being born again, right? You know, so that's in our background. And then, for God so loved the world. Okay? That's the world, right? And you want to take that as corporately, everybody. Not a problem. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. In the original language, is all the believing ones, all the ones who will believe. That's what it's saying. All the ones that will believe will have eternal life. I have no problem with that. Everyone that believes in Jesus Christ will find him an absolute perfect Savior. So he didn't die for everyone, because only those that believe will have eternal life. So within the context of John three sixteen, there is limitation.
1: It's based on your belief if you go by that line of sight. It's
0: by belief. And John hasn't answered it yet, but he's hinted at it with his with his talk with Nicodemus. In, chapter, in John chapter 6, he will tell us about belief. And John chapter 10, he'll tell us about belief.
1: I was about to say, is that a... I was like, John chapter 6, I don't think that's where he talks to Nicodemus again. No, no, not about Nicodemus. No, okay. but,
0: No, but he'll answer us on belief. Right. You know... Why don't you believe after he does all these signs? Because you're not on my sheep. But, you know, we have no problem with that.
1: Right. All right. Next one. A big one. 2 Peter 3, 9. Dun, dun,
0: dun. I have had this one brought up more times. So, I'm going to do 3, 8 through 9. 2 Peter 3, 8 But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance.
1: Man, sounds pretty crystal clear that God wants us all to come to repentance, doesn't
0: it? It sounds very crystal clear that, you know, God desires all to come to repentance,
1: at least that's what we've been told. And that's what we've been told. And that's what people <clears throat> use to object to limited atonement time and time again.
0: But if I was going to preach a sermon on Second Peter 3, 8 through 9, or 9 through, uh, I wouldn't do 8 and 9, I'd go up more, but let's say it was 8 and 9. What's the first important thing to know about Second Peter? Who wrote it? Who wrote it? Who's it to? Who's it to? so what is the main message so what is exactly three questions you have to answer who wrote it it's not a trick question guys it's really it was peter. james i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah it's peter so peter wrote second peter despite all the liberal critics out there saying, but he wrote second peter now why did he or who did he write it to well a good indicator is always to go back and read the f- introduction that's, I mean, that's what I do. And if I'm prepping for a sermon, I'm going to go back and read the introduction of the book and see how the apostle started it. And chapter 1, Simon Peter, a bond servant, and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, who is it to? It's to the elect. It's to those who have received faith. So, They have received faith, right? What's our next question? We've answered who wrote it, and now why? Why is he writing this?
1: Looks to those who have looked, and looks like it's also an answer to, if I'm just going by the title, Mm -hmm. that at some point there's false prophets and teachers.
0: So you have false prophets and teachers, and chapter 3, It says, This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets in the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. And the reason I'm going to say this is chapter 3, he summarizes everything. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come, and their mocking following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of waters and by water, through which the world was at one time destroyed, being fled with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And then he says, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that the Lord, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise. What is his promise? Judgment. So the promise is judgment, that judgment will face all of mankind. Now, he is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish. Who's the you?
1: Obviously... It's those who he's writing to. It's
0: those who he's writing to. Who is he writing the letter to?
1: To the cult, to the elect. To the elect. That's what the you or us, as some translations will have it.
0: So it comes back around. The qualifying, this is why it is important to look at the context. This is why I really dislike when people say this one verse on YouTube, and if you're guilty of this, you'll understand Type in one verse that destroys something, you know, and you'll have a one-minute clip of one verse that destroys Calvinism. One verse that destroys it all. One verse to rule them all. And
1: (laughs) That was a weird Lord of the Rings put in
0: there. Yeah. And one verse, yeah, one verse can sure destroy it if it's taken way out of context. And it's not this is taken way out of context, but it's taken out of context because... This
1: is not a one verse to rule them all moment. (laughs)
0: It is not. It is not. No. I was trying to get my dramatic...
1: Lord of the Rings effect in?
0: I've never seen Lord of the Rings.
1: I've seen the movies, but haven't read the book. I... But I I have not watched the extended cuts. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know. I've never watched... I never... Like, I heard it takes a really long time to watch the extended cuts, and I don't have that time. I've seen the books, and I was like, whoa... The movies are pretty good, but I don't know what the extended cuts look like. I haven't gotten that far. But back to the subject. The you
0: is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish. Any of who? Any of you? Any of who's the you? You are the elect. That's what he's talking about. Any of the elect should perish, but for all, all of who? All of the elect to come to repentance very i have no problem with that text it is absolutely clear who's he talking to he's talking to the elect he's hoping that none of he he wishes and desires that none of the elect will be lost telling them that
1: none of them will be lost
0: none of them will be lost
1: because i can't think of what the verse is right now but it talks about how jesus will not lose any that are given to him
0: yeah and so when you go through and when you answer those questions you know who is he talking about? And you walk through the text; these things disappear. This disappears very quickly um, as an actual contention. Right. But this isn't the only one. This is not the only one. There's another big one. Second First Timothy or First Timothy. First Oops.
1: Timothy two four.
0: Two four.
1: And this kind of follows along the same lines of where we come to this fact of what does all mean. So
0: Second Timothy, First Timothy, First Timothy. I was catching you. I was making sure you were up. Second Timothy, First Timothy, two. I'm looking at two. And just, oh my goodness! <laughs> I said it again. First Timothy, Let's start chapter in verse two, one. verse one.
1: First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions which is the testimony given at the proper time.
0: So it proves right there.
1: It says all people.
0: And we know from the number of sermons that we've heard that all always means all.
1: Always means all.
0: All always means all. So,
1: we're universalists now.
0: <laughs> that no, it's true. I've you know I've heard that though people say all always means all and I'm like, well, I guarantee you if I pushed you on that, you would disagree. <laughs> So who is Paul talking about to Timothy here? Is he talking? Obviously, he says that he desires all men to be saved. But we, a lot of us, when we say that, we skip over what you read, which is verse 1. Which, what did he first say? I urge you that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. I've heard James White say it time and time again, and I think it's a great point. Did Paul expect Timothy to go to the, you know, Ephesian phone book and pull it out and go, John Smith, I pray for you. John Schmidt, I pray for you. No, you know.
1: If- I mean, if you do that, really impressed him. You're more dedicated to the I am and you are I probably need to learn from you. Whoever does that.
0: Yeah, whoever does that. You're I'm, a trooper.
1: Yeah, and you might need to be my mentor for prayer.
0: Yeah. That you have hours and well, I mean, not today because phone books are a lot smaller, but like if this was the nineties and you were doing this, I'm amazed.
1: <laughs> but Both, I mean, I'm glad you got your priorities right. And I understand I'm so yeah. thankful for people like you because if there's somebody who's done that and prayed for me, I'm grateful and I'm sure okay. there's people who are praying for me now and I'm I need be grateful. I need well, to be better at praying for other people because I really suck at unceasing prayer.
0: The likelihood of you being prayed for in the phone book is a lot closer than me because I'm at the end. <laughs> I am at the W, so
1: I'm at the B. So, so I guess you're right.
0: You get the beginning, and then towards the end, they're just exhausted. But anyway,
1: right. So back to this, all people. Yeah. So what happens in verse two, though? Why does he go into this part of? Four kings and all who are in high positions. If kings and all who are in high positions are a part of all people, why does he specify right here? Mm. It doesn't make sense unless he was trying to set it up as all kinds of people.
2: Mm.
0: Devil's in the detail. Yeah. He's setting up a ranking, you could say, a a separation, a collection.
1: I mean, it doesn't fall along the same lines as ethnicity, but it's kind of like groups of people. So like as Samaritans, as Israelites, as Gentiles, Mm -hmm. there's people who are servants, there's people who are bond servants. There's slaves, there's merchants, there's fishermen, there's tax collectors, there's kings, and people who are in high positions. Yeah. And these are people who at this time will be severely persecuting. Think about that. I mean,
0: this was, uh, I, well, I mean, this is the, the second letter, or the, this is the first letter, but in the second letter, Timothy, this is a person who is really dear with, and he will, Paul will lose his life towards. I mean, shortly after the writing of 2 Timothy. And so the threat of death was imminent.
1: The whole time, and they absolutely knew it. I mean, Paul was himself one who threatened death to people of the way. Yeah.
0: In America, we are so blessed because death is not on our doorstep as much as it was then. And the likelihood of us losing our life, especially for our faith, is not such a reality as it was then. But then it was a big thing, and to say that, I mean, let me put it in today's context, maybe I'm going to boil it way down, I'm making this a comparison, but I'm not saying it's an equal playing field. It would be about the equivalent of you praying for political leaders today in the United States that are going against your faith, that are trying to destroy everything that you support and believe in.
1: But it's not like the way that American government does it right now, like, It's the way that the Chinese government does. It's the way the Korean government does. It's the way that Middle East does. Yeah. I mean, these are people who can't even say it in public places. They have to hide and tell it in some way. Mm -hmm. But very likely they know that how they do it could be found out and that they will go to jail and that they could die for it. Yeah. And they still go through with it. That is nothing compared to what we have to do in America. No. No.
0: No, the, the Chinese Christians and what they have to face, and what everyone across the seas and the Middle East has to face is—is is just a testament of their faith?
1: These are probably just a few places. I'm, I guarantee that there's more oh, yeah. that are like this, and people are worried that America could get there eventually. But I feel like we're so far away from it. We don't. I mean, we don't understand.
0: Yeah, we may have slipped a lot, but we're never to the point of where I- they are. No. Well, I consider and say, are you making petitions and prayers to the leaders and authority today over you? Are you pleading for them because he commanded Timothy to do it? And he said, for all men, regardless. Why? Because you should be praying for their salvation. Right. If they're lost.
1: And if you really think about who the leader was during this time frame, if it's Nero, my history is kind of sketchy, yeah. but I think Nero is around this time. This was a man who made Hitler look like a baby. He like a very, he killed his own family when he thought they were going to commit treason against him.
0: He's a very disgusting individual. Yeah. I've I, been, yeah, things that are not decent to say in any company.
1: <laughs> but to think that Paul is asking Timothy to pray for this man mm. should really put it into perspective of how much we need to pray mm. for our leaders.
0: It's a jab at me. I know that. Like that is a that's a that's a dagger.
1: And even though you definitely don't agree with what they're doing, we still need to pray for them to be saved. Yeah. So so that we can preach the gospel to them. Absolutely. So is it? It's a
0: saying that God doesn't desire. Uh, desires every man to be saved universally. No, he's saying that all kinds of men, he desires to save all kinds of men from the categories of kings, from the categories of rulers, from the categories of dictators, from the category, you name it, he desires individuals from them to be saved.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it even goes in Revelation that people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation are going to be saved. But it's not saying that all those people are going to be saved, that every single one of them, yeah. every single person is going to know that God is Lord. Yes. But every person is not going to come to a saving knowledge. hmm I mean, I don't know how to put it any clearer than that. It was pretty clear.
0: Okay. So, uh, go ahead.
1: And I think the last one we got was in 2 Corinthians
0: 5.15. 2 Corinthians 5.15?
1: I think that's what you had said earlier.
0: i go to 14. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So Christ died for all. But again, who's the all? Well, I kind of spoiled it because I read the 14 there for the love of christ controls us having concluded this that one died for all died of for all who all of us therefore all died all of us died and he died for all all of us again so that they who live might no longer live for themselves but live for him who died and rose again on their behalf so notice it's their behalf not all's behalf there's he's he's consistent he's saying that the us the all is us we are they you know this isn't everybody in the whole world whom christ died for i mean for one we run into that stipulation of the atonement if you're going to make the argument that christ died for all universally explain to me why not everyone is saved you know,
1: right? It's like grace works at some people better than others. Yeah,
0: and I find that a slippery slope. You know, if you are going to say that Christ died for all, but then why is not all saved? And the answer is, you know, well, you have to have faith. Well, is it fair for the person in, in Africa that has never heard the gospel? Do they have an equal opportunity? Than you, here in America, there's a church on every street corner. It's not very fair, you know. If you want to look at that from that perspective, not very fair. Well, what about uh, you know who put that person in that situation? Did God know that you were going to be created and put in that situation? You know how da- how far down the rabbit trail do you want to go, and how much are you going to stick to your guns in that situation, or acknowledge that Jesus Christ died. For all those who will believe, all those who place their faith in Jesus Christ are the ones he's died for.
1: Right. And I mean, it literally goes to as far as if God really created everything and knew us in the womb, even and called us from the womb, or I mean, as Isaiah puts it mm-hmm. multiple times, but God knew him in the womb and called him to be a prophet.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, Do you think he just does that for one individual? Mm. Yeah. No, because obviously you see in the New Testament that John the Baptist was the same way.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I guarantee that there are other people throughout history who God has intended for specific purposes and called to specific purposes. And God calls them to ministry. Mm -hmm. And I know that people want to equate this differently, but if you're going to go in ministry, what's the first thing you have to do? You have to be saved. You can't be a minister and not be saved. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's instances of where people say that they've come to saving knowledge through their own mm-hmm. preaching.
0: And I would say that was a, an act of mercy and they were in some trouble.
1: They were lucky. <laughs> they were lucky. <laughs> that guy was graceful. Yeah. But I mean, God has to work salvation through ministers. It doesn't matter whether we see or think that these people would be ministers Mm
2: -hmm.
1: or whether they are ministers who shouldn't be ministers, Mm -hmm. but that God has a will that goes through and that there are times that's called the decorative will. And then there's the moral will Mm -hmm. through laws and things. And then there's his disposition will, which is what we cover in second Peter three, nine, like feelings, emotions, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And of course those last two can be broken but his decorative will and what he wants accomplished will be accomplished there's mm-hmm. nothing we can do to stop him or else he is not God
2: mm-hmm.
1: like his second coming is going to be here that is his decorative will yeah. for Jesus to die on his cross that was decorative will
2: yeah
1: for Israel to become a nation and be the one who first shines the light was his decorative will he mm-hmm. elected them mm-hmm. for Adam and Eve to be created and the whole world to be created that was his will mhm
0: He didn't consult anybody.
1: It was in his own good pleasure that he did this.
0: Mm -hmm. By his own free will. Free, unaltered will. God did all those things.
1: And it's just kind of, if you don't really see how this builds upon one another, then you need to go back and listen to the other two episodes. Mm -hmm. And it's only going to continue on because the next episode is going to be on irresistible grace.
0: Which is a beautiful, I mean, all the, the, I mean, they call these the doctrines of grace. Why? Because it's all about grace. This is all about grace. And it is so beautiful to sit back and understand this is not on you, it's all God. God is the one who carries all things to their final destination.
1: Right. And so I know that these episodes have been slightly getting longer each time but that's because we need to go back and rebuild, review yeah. because they all build upon one another. Mm-hmm. And that's why people say like total depravity is the whole foundation of this thing. Because if you take total depravity out, none of these others make sense. Yeah.
0: Because we are so dead in our sins and trespasses. We are alienated from God. No one seeks for him. No, not one because all our minds are set on the flesh. We are hostile towards God, God and his rich, who is rich in mercy bestows upon us he elects a people unconditionally not upon their merit upon nothing inherently in them and because he chooses them he then sends his son to perfectly die for those people and he saves them absolutely to the uttermost without exception
1: right and so stay tuned next week for when we do irresistible grace it'll be irresistible at least we hope Yeah, <laughs> you can find us on Podbean, Amazon, iHeartRadio. We're even on TuneIn, and you can listen to us through Alexa now. So we're still working on Apple. Hopefully mm-hmm. we'll get a shot at that soon, but we're trying to be content with where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Leave us a review on Facebook. We're also on Twitter at ROM829ABF.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then that should be everything. And I want to thank you, and hopefully this podcast has helped to at least point you in a better direction of being conformed to the image of God. My name's Logan. my name is Colton. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight. And God bless.